Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back. I am now on day six and a half of recovering from COVID. Definitely the worst is behind me. And I was pretty, pretty knocked out on Tuesday and Wednesday of last week. But yeah, man, this is my first case of COVID. And um, it's taking a long time to recover. Uh, I know a lot of people have different reactions. But for me, definitely probably going to take another few days to fully get over it. I still am on Advil, have a uh, little cough drop in right now, but uh, happy to be back. Couldn't stay away from you all uh, for too long. So I uh, wanted to, I, I basically kicked out the whole team from our relatively small office here and uh, I'm going to run everything by myself. So you got to let me know in the comments if uh, like the sound is off or the video is off, but hopefully I can control all this by myself um, without grace. So kind of delving into um, the week and how it's starting. Well, last week, just to catch you up, it was quite a rough week in the markets. I mean, we had negative. Um, I mean, it was it was pretty bad, right? So as of as of uh, Friday, the S&P was down 5.4%. The NASDAQ down 5.7%. Um, the 10-year at... 3.7%, Bitcoin down 5.8% at 18,600, Ethereum at 10, down 10%. So pretty pretty rough week in the markets. I think everybody's been feeling it. Uh, in case you missed it, well, or in case you're not subscribed yet, definitely check out. I just dropped actually a new video. I was a little bored um, uh, while I was kind of having COVID. So I made a, a quick video for you all here it's on kind of my new personal channel um it's a lot smaller of a channel but um definitely really enjoy it over there it's a little bit more vloggy and only 10 minutes so go check that out um just search the economy is sick just to know or something like that um but yeah it's been it's been quite brutal uh and just checking in on the markets as we speak this morning um like the S&P and the NASDAQ haven't really recovered all that much today. There's not really a bounce back in the S&P. The S&P is looking like it's sort of flat this morning. Um, whereas the, the NASDAQ's up maybe 0.9%. The S&P is flat. And in Europe, kind of mixed again. Asia down, etc. So not nothing... Nothing really, uh, no great news in terms of looking at your portfolio on a day-to-day -day basis. But hopefully if you're here, um, you aren't someone who obsesses about their portfolio every single day. Um, that's not how I don't think most of the really great long-term investors think. Um, I don't know of one that does that. And when I worked for a long-term hedge fund, I mean, I don't even think us analysts really even check the markets every day. Um, so honestly, I haven't checked the markets. I've checked the markets and obsessed, obsessed over the markets more as a creator here on the internet than I ever did uh, in professionally in, at hedge funds, which is kind of funny. Um, but let's go over kind of the, the news last week, what you need to know. The two-year treasury yield surges above 4.1% after the Fed hike, which was, happened on um, ha happened last week. So let's look at the let's look at the chart. If I can just keep my tabs open about rates. Right now, the yeah, the US 10-year Treasury has kind of come back a little bit to 3.772. 
but um that that's that's pretty i mean it's high and i think what people are are predicting is we'll see yields at you know five percent before long uh, but that's really what's scaring folks last week was or scaring the market or at least that's what the narrative is who really knows what the market is thinking any given week but the narrative has been the fed is now overcorrecting and going to drive us into a true to form recession um so i i said it in that video again go to just search like just to know the market is sick video and i basically said that we went from covid's going to drive us into a recession to overstimulus so we have an inflation problem to now we're oscillating back to we're going to go into a recession again um but it's it's very very uncertain right now because some people still think that that we need to uh, hike rates even further even more and more aggressively so i mean i i can't tell you what i mean i don't think any any investor out here can tell you what what we should do but um it's definitely one of the more uncertain times as an investor that i can remember and i have you know i haven't been in the career all that long compared to a lot of others that you'll see on cnbc but uh, if you listen from their tone i mean this is one of the more uncertain periods of time that they've ever seen as well so um that's that so kind of going into AutoZone, uh azo great company their q4 earnings and sales beat profit up year over year uh, reported 40 bucks and 50 cents per share in the fourth quarter up 13.4 percent just a really great stock um the the valuation is is you know a little it's not stretched but it's definitely seems fairly priced for what it is i mean the high quality company and this is a company that i think uh, a lot of us would would prefer to get at a kind of a more um favorable price if if we can ever get something like that but i think um you can just see how management has has been able to compound investor capital over time. Um, kind of going to the next one, Accenture warns of a forex hit amid strong IT services demand. Um, you guys can uh, read this article if you want. I'm not really sure how many of you are Accenture stock owners. Actually, I don't think I've ever met one. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's a global diversified consulting firm and uh yeah i mean the annual forecast was a tad higher than estimates profit view widely lagged that of wall street demand for it services however remains strong from businesses so something like this that is a spread over their uh their consultants dollar i guess labor um would might get squeezed in a period of time where wages are increasing and inflating but demand in real time is now wavering or even kind of weakening if they remember to switch over to me where demand is kind of weakening then your your profit margins are going to get squeezed right because essentially if inflation's going up and then we're trying to kill demand with rates and so demand's going down inflation is going to keep going and lag as rates go down especially because it, right, it takes like three six months to hire a position etc so some of these spread businesses over labor I imagine they're going to see short-term pain in terms of their profit margins squeezing. I mean, this is something that we've seen in like Walmart and Target as well. You know, the darlings, you know, some companies that that are extremely high quality, but can't get away from the fact that they need to hire thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of workers. 
So that's that. Um, switching back to this Olive Garden, uh, sales fall short, but parent company Darden stands by Outlook. Demand for the company's two chains, uh, two largest chains, Olive Garden and Longhorse Steakhouse, fell short of expectations during the period. S CEO Rick Cardenas said inflation is weighing on consumers, particularly those in households with annual incomes under fifty thousand. Um, and I imagine Olive Garden and uh, Longhorn Steakhouse are places frequented more. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, they literally said it that Olive Garden is more exposed to low income consumers. Uh, if you're on this podcast, then you're probably you're a serious or accredited investor. And I imagine that you haven't eaten at Olive Garden or Longhorn Steakhouse uh, too frequently, especially after their pivot. I remember they used to be a little bit more middle class. I remember going to Olive Garden and then they kind of pivoted a little bit to um, a slightly different concept with lime green everywhere. Um, but I, that shouldn't probably surprise you. Restaurants are notoriously tough business. And um, yeah, and I don't think I would, I don't know if I would ever bet on Olive Garden or Longhorse, Longhorn Steakhouse with my hard-earned investing dollars. Uh, kind of going over to the next story, Costco sales rise as inflation continues to weigh on customers. Costco's revenues rose 15%, beating analyst expectations and indicating consumers see the warehouse retailer as a haven against high prices. So this one is definitely a um, like something that may or may not have made our compounder list where we uh, aggregated 31 extremely high quality both pure play and kind of private equity in the public markets types of compounders in the in the market that you can kind of pick and choose. Definitely check that out at SensePro. Um, link in the description is just everything leads to www.senseinvest.com. So we just did that for um, SensePro subscribers. But yes, Costco may or may not be one of them. It's a very amazing company. And last week, again, could not get away for being such a multi-billion dollar company, a $211 billion market cap company, could not get away from the market, right? Um, we all really like, you know, I, I can, spoiler alert, we really like Google. A lot of people like Google. It's a consensus uh, monopoly business making really high cash flows at a really great valuation. And, you know, still goes down with the market. So once you're kind of big enough, you, you, sometimes it's really just hard to get away from the market. But all you can kind of hope for is your 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 business is much higher quality, and you will outperform over the long run. Um, and it can be kind of a safe haven, like they said. All right, next story: Lennar and KB Home beat earnings estimates, but homeowners slowed. I will caution investors here with these home builders. This is the reason why we haven't bought home builders, despite feeling like we uh, really love the, the secular trend of millennials coming into the home buying market. And it's because home builders at earnings come kind of at, at the last end of everything. You have to realize they have a very long sales structure, very long inventory structure. And then um, they basically have to buy land. <coughs> Excuse me permit the land they have to um build large tracts of homes and sell them 
or again, and there's smaller home builders too that do more urban infill or whatever have you, but it's essentially the same. I mean, the best one that I know of is NVR. It's a very high price stocked. Let's show this on the screen. It's a $4,000 stock uh, because it, they are such high quality for home build, builder. Excuse me. I have to... All right, I'm back. Um, uh, they are such high quality for a home builder, but again, you can't get away from the fact that the whole market is afraid of a housing crisis or you know home prices falling, et cetera. But NVR is definitely the highest quality one of them because NVR generally buys their land, their inventory uh, using options. So it's much more capital uh, light than capital heavy. Uh, so it's a better return on capital over time. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, let's look at what Lenar did last week. The housing data came out. So NVR down only 1% last week outperformed the S&P 500, uh, high quality home builder, but also a home builder that has already suffered like, you know, quite the brunt. So down 30% from the peak. Um, and then you have kind of Lenar here which is flat uh, for last week and, you know, down 34% from the peak. So these things trade at very low multiples, but I will just caution you and be, you know, that that these are the kind of uh, first ones to, to suffer during the housing weakness because they are the front line of selling homes to the, the new marginal buyer. Okay, so... Going to the next story, kind of coming back to the macro, uh, the Fed raised rates by another three quarters of a percentage point, pledges more hikes to fight inflation. Again, we talked about this in the beginning of the podcast, that um, people are just afraid that this is going to be an overcorrection and they are now just kind of hawkish. And I've given up this soft landing rhetoric. Um, going to the next story, home sales dropped 20% in August from a year ago. Uh, sale of existing homes, which includes single-family homes, townhomes, and condominiums and co-ops, were down 19.9% from a year ago. That's a year-over-year -year number, so I really hate these like um, headlines. So why don't we go to existing home sales and the FRED data. And here on the chart, you can kind of see that it's staying flat on a month-to-month -month basis-ish. It's still not great, but um, you can see we are way down from where we were uh, at 6 million homes per uh, in the month, you know, 6 million homes per month back in the winter of 2021 to 2022. And so, yeah, housing weakness, I think this makes a lot of sense because uh, average 30 year fixed mortgage rate uh, chart. I misspelled that, but thank you, Google. We're pulling up another Fred chart here where, uh, look, I don't think that a lot of home sellers will sell their homes when rates are going up so precipitously. So when rates are going up, like if I sold now, my rate was at 2.5%, by the way, my 30-year mortgage, or my even if your mortgage was you know 3 3.5%. How how would you, 
it'd, it'd be such an Herculean concept to sell your home now and then buy a new home with a new mortgage at a six and a half percent rate, but you actually don't know if the six and a half percent rate is going to happen because, um, yeah, because the six and a half percent rate is going to keep going up conceptually, right? If the Fed funds rate is at 4% and rising to five, the spread between the 30 year fixed and the, and the Fed funds rate will, you know, all things constant, you know, 30 year fixed mortgages might reach seven, eight, 9%. So it's really, really uncertain, especially when the rate environment is so, so volatile. So that's, that's what's really happening here. I think it's, um, it's really freezing up the, the real estate market. And another thing is, uh, inventories are low because of this, but also I think that rates are going up. So the cost of borrowing are, is going up. So the, the implied IRRs of these real estate projects are uh, going down because the selling prices haven't adjusted down uh, in accordance with this paradigm. So what I do think will happen is that average home prices should moderate and maybe weaken. I do think that they will weaken. Um, you know, here's another another th data point out last week: U.S. home building buoyed by multifamily projects, but falling permits signal weakness coming. It's just prices need to come down in order for people to afford the same amount of house that they were kind of a year ago. Um, and as I speak to a little bit more like private deals that a, a serious investor might do, like a rental deal, all these single family home rental types of things, you know, when a house has skyrocketed from 750 to a million and now only has a cap rate of like 4% or 5%, but now your cost of borrowing is like six, 7% you're underwater on that property, right? Cap rate being under, like if your cap rate, which is basically the, the EBITDA over EV yield of a real estate project, if that's under the cost of borrowing, then that means that you can't borrow money or you, you can borrow money, but then 100% of your IRR has to be from a house appreciation. So that just ain't gonna fly. And I think that's gonna, that's gonna be, uh, gonna be an issue. So I think, uh, if you are out there with real estate projects, I think that you can still do real estate projects out there, but you got to get a really good price. Um, and you either need to under lever or just pay all cash and accept that the unlevered yield that you are given, or you, um, or you need to find a deal where you can lock in a rate that is, uh, lower and, um, that is lower than your cost of capital. And so that's just something that uh, we'll need to adjust pretty soon here. So things are things are definitely starting to break down. I do feel that here in the, in the economy. But again, that's just a feeling. Another thing, SPAC King, Chamath Palihapitiya closed two SPACs after failing to find deals. So he talked about this on his All In podcast, just not enough deals. Uh, the boards of these companies, he said, aren't selling for a down round. Um, yeah, so you know, all the SPACs haven't done so hot. 
And so it makes total sense. I'll, I'll just remember, I'll just um, remind folks that with Chamath and I think even more egregiously with Ackman, a lot of billionaires are interesting to follow, but they don't care about you as an investor. They will be happy to siphon as much legally, right? Siphon as much uh, economics towards themselves as they can get away with. Um, and if, if you doubt that, definitely read the biography on, on Bill Ackman. So unless you really know the person, I would just say it's, uh, there's, a, a, there's a limited level of trust that you can kind of have following a, uh, a famous investor in to something. I'm trying to find the book that I read a, a long time ago. I believe it is called Confidence Game. Here it is. All right. This is the book, Confidence Game. Is that it? I'm trying to think. Remember, is this it? Maybe not. I'm going to find this for you guys right now. Yeah, it's. I think it's. Yeah, there it is. I was right. Confidence game. How hedge fund manager Bill Ackman called Wall Street's bluff. I mean, I'd read it. It's if if you're really interested in in that. It was written in 2011, so he's been really at this game for a long time. All right, cool. Going to the next thing. Spotify launches audiobooks in the U.S. today, or as of September 20th. So this was last week. Spotify is the home for all of the audio that you love. I really do love what Spotify is doing with its its like product strategy. They're really being the home place for audio, for podcasts, audiobooks, music, etc., all in one platform. Um, they've also bought Anchor. So as a creator, as a podcast creator, we publish this on through podcasts. So definitely subscribe if you want to listen to us this podcast on. Uh, audio anywhere you get your audio uh, audiobooks or podcasts so um, Spotify Apple podcasts etc and leave us a good rating um, but yeah we do that through just one platform called anchor where we upload the audio and it publishes all of the RSS feeds to everywhere that you would consume this podcast and so uh, they bought kind of that and then now they're inserting their ad platform into that whole kind of two two-sided marketplace so listeners on one side listening to ads creators on the anchor side publishing and then kind of an ad platform to monetize from advertisers and then they share well conceptually i, I do i haven't used this but they do share their ad revenues with creators so similar to the youtube platform and i think they're creating the youtube for audio which i think is a very good strategy so um spotify stock is you know is is a little bit more hairy i, I think in terms of investing in in the stock but um yep but i do think that they have really great management uh so coming this week we got 
Bed Bath and Beyond earnings and CarMax. Coming next week or coming this week, we have durable goods, pending home sales, final GDP. I believe we get PCE today. Core PCE. I believe we get core PCE sometime today. So for last month. Yeah, so we'll get August core PCE sometime this week as well. Um, don't forget to sign up for the uh, for the newsletter. Uh, uh, you know, great announcement uh, on the on the main channel. We have lost 500 subscribers. I am very happy with that statistic, and uh, I was not kidding when I published that that uh, that video of mine, that vlog video that said, like, I, I just want a core group of really serious investors that just want to spend an hour with me every week and do real uh, listen to real deep research and um, talk about things for that that I want to talk about that my friends and I in my social circle want to talk about and talk about all the time. And it's uh, mainly, you know, deep stock research, the best ideas out of that, which we do at Sense Pro. Private deals, we get really excited about private real estate or micro pri uh, private equity deals that we're going to try to find here. Um, you know, very little crypto, but sometimes crypto and uh, just other like lifestyle stuff. So um, lifestyle stuff for, you know, tax tax management and optimization, um, you know, f financial independence goals, stuff like that. So uh, thank you for being here. Love you all who, who want to stay. And uh, don't forget, we've actually now, um, we've now collected 300 accredited investor emails in just a week. So definitely hit the link in the description here on YouTube if you're here. If you're an accredited investor or a serious investor, or even if you're just uh, curious and not an accredited investor and think you will be someday, I know you will be someday. Um, I mean, by definition, right? The average, average American net worth at 60 years old. Uh, is a quarter million. So if you're on this channel, like I imagine you'll be you'll be accredited someday. But definitely sign up here. All we ask for is an email. We don't even have a um, a name thing. It's just an email and just kind of your status. And if you want to look at deals, um, have actually a potential deal coming that uh, my that hedge fund Henry has been been looking at. So I. Uh, I'll let you know if that ends up being something. Um, but yeah, definitely want to collect. I, I don't know what the goal is in terms of, I don't want to make it so big that it's that people can't get an allocation. Uh, just a reminder, Sense Pro and Roic members will have priority uh, because they support the content. Um, two deals if we ever do get oversubscribed. But um, we'd love to create a, a list of of really great respectful accredited or serious investors i mean international too works um maybe like a list of a few thousand i mean that way you know it's, it's kind of a deal by deal basis like some people just don't care about a self-storage deal in charlotte north carolina some people really like um some widget manufacturer in phoenix arizona right some people just um 
they would like to take a little bit more risk and this you know kind of a widget manufacturer that 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 is projecting a little bit more growth as opposed to some people are a little bit more risk averse want this like 15 percent cash flow yield kind of thing and that's something that i get really excited about and i think um a lot of my network has been building out for the past five years and we'll be launching over the next year and i've uh, been talking to them and they said they'd be giving us you know a, a look at uh you know virtually all their deals that they come across and again like i said i I might as well open it up to the folks that support the content and I love so much. So, um, Ben, hey, Ben, how are you doing? Um, must be kind of, is it late your time? Uh, Hedge Fund Henry, just a reminder for those of you that haven't been here for like two and a half years, is one of my best friends. Um, he was a partner at a hedge fund I worked at for a decade, I believe. Um, and super smart guy, high net worth individual. Um, I talk to him a few times every week and, uh, yeah, he, he really loves private deals. So he's, he's already, uh, invested in a lot of those. So super smart guy, um, has helped build sense. He was actually the first investor here at sense. And, uh, yeah, that's who hedge fund Henry is. And in case you didn't know, a lot of wall streeters don't like putting their name out there. So that, so two years ago we called him hedge fund Henry and that's stuck um a little bit uh it's, it's stuck around but yeah and, and i have uh i think we named someone who came on the podcast once uh private equity pete these are all not their names and i i'm very hoping that over time as we do deals together as a community they can come on and like you know tiptoe out of the shadows uh, i mean you guys probably can 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 understand sitting at home uh opening up your face and saying things online definitely just uh there's a i don't the, the the risk reward does not make sense for most people and uh so i mean he's a really great guy um it just um i think wall streeters are generally shy and that, that includes me as well so anyway let's get back to the content so i just want to remind everybody uh if you if you have any if you or your friends are interested in those types of things and again in this incoming environment I'm going to do a full video on that new channel, that new vlog channel about this, where it's like, I'm going to do a breakdown of Buffett's how inflation swindles the equity investor famous uh, article back in the seventies and how he beat and Berkshire, how he beat, and I'm trying to think if Berkshire Hathaway was the vehicle back then, but how Warren Buffett meaningfully outperformed the S&P 500 during a 15 year period where the S&P 500 was absolute like pardon my French dog shit. So um that's what we're going to do. We need to find cash flow yields that outperform both inflation and government bond yields. Like that's straight from 1970s Buffett words. And so uh that's what we're going to do. We're going to find in the public markets where we can and we're going to find in the private markets where we can. The advantage is it's a small group of us, so we can focus on micro cap stuff. I mean, like a $3 million deal probably is passed along by most people, but still meaningful for like a small group of investors. Um, so yeah, that's what we'll do. Anyway, I dived a little bit too far deep into that, but hopefully that, um, I mean, I'm hyper transparent and this is a live stream. So um, all right, going into trends in focus. So metaverse, fad or fade, 
This week, Meta Reality Labs, or so last week, made waves by posting a research paper and video showing its Quest headset in action. The folks at Gradient Metrics surveyed U.S. adults from different generations to gauge their outlook on the metaverse. As expected, boomers are not confident that the metaverse is the future of human interaction. But guess what? The people that are more and most uh, confident that the metaverse is the future of interaction are Gen X and Millennials. Gen Z actually has a lower score for future of human interaction than Millennials or Gen X. So the younger folks are not actually catching on that the metaverse is real. And if you want my, just again, completely uneducated gut reaction to, um, to this chart is... I don't know. There's probably some Gen Z folks here in, in this live stream. Thank you for the 150 people here. Um, they have grown up on virtual world. They live their lives in the virtual world. I see a lot of uh, a lot of real world get out there, disconnect porn kind of on TikTok and Reddit where a lot of the younger folks are like, we live our entire lives on these phones and you, we got to get out there, like just turn off your phone for a week and go hike. It's because they had less of that than we did. We had less of that than Gen X did. Gen X had less of that than boomers did. So it's kind of this grass is greener thing. And maybe, and they also had COVID lock themselves down to a completely virtual world for two years of their formative lives. And so, um, so I, I just do think that this might be a fad. I'm not really sure. Put it in the, in the chat if you're here and you, you think that the metaverse will be the future or a fad. I thought this was, we thought that this was a really interesting chart. Um, Americans are getting more news from social media. The Pew Research Channel Center re released its latest, latest findings on how U.S. adults get their news. Twitter had the highest proportion of users who use the platform for news at 53%. Interestingly, TikTok has had seen had, has seen significant growth in this area. And this uh, DayQuil is getting to me. Um, who's getting the news? So Twitter, percentage of users who are regularly getting news from social platforms. So Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, and nobody gets their news. Uh, very few people get their news from, from Snapchat. Just an interesting chart. Um, kind of going back to folks, I want to read some of the comments uh, given we are a live stream, although you are about 20 seconds delayed, maybe 10 seconds. Um, kind of going back to the uh, Warren Buffett thing. I think Dave Z Beats uh, was saying that yes, seventies were still mostly Berkshire. Yeah, to go, uh, brush up on uh, the vehicles because before that was partnerships, right? Um, MK was saying real estate seems to be the strongest investment in the asset in these new changing times. So go watch my video. I don't disagree with that comment about real estate, but I also think that real estate as a full asset class um, needs might have to come down in pricing or may flatline 
while rents catch up. Uh, rents need to ca start catching up. Rental yields need to catch up basically to to uh, outperform, I guess, the government T-bill or the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Um, and then Dave Beats is saying, uh, might be prudent just to find blue chips under book value. Uh, L-O-K, not really sure what that means. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, funny. I think that was a funny joke where back then, yes, there were blue chips under book. There were companies trading for triple net and all this other stuff. I agree, it's completely different times, but you know, the uh, history rhymes, but doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes for sure. So I think it's something that we should, uh, I think it, like a conceptual breakdown of that article is, is very, very helpful, even if we can't find the same triple nets that uh, Buffett uh, was able to find. Um, okay, go, going back to a little uh, pulse on if the metaverse is a fad. Um, Enghein is saying it's a fad. AMG Rush is saying metaverse is a fad. Miguel is saying uh, poop emoji. Jay Bagnulo said will be a f the future, like in Minority Report, not like Lawnmower Man. Uh, Steven is saying future, but not what we think it is. MK is saying long-term exposure to the metaverse, but not sure if it's the end all be all of social interaction. And uh, Miguel saying this political tools burnt themselves. But yeah, I mean, so going back that now we're moving on to the these platforms. Um, yeah, I mean, Facebook seems to be full of misinformation. Um, excuse me, I got a cough. Okay, I'm back. Reddit seems to lean a certain political way for sure. Instagram. I feel like is very uh, thoughts and prayers. That's what we, that's what we make fun of, or uh, a few comedians have made fun of. Um, and Twitter is Twitter. I'm a lot of you probably are on Twitter. If you don't follow me, um, hit, hit that follow if you care. I don't really tweet that much, but want to start doing it more. Um, Twitter does seem to be the more. Um, it is biased as, as we've seen with the whole Elon Musk. Twitter drama, but there are, you know, I would say I at least see two different styles of blue checkmark folks in my feed from both sides of the aisle. And um, so that's where people, I mean, this is where probably the more educated discussion happens, but, you know, I'm rooting on YouTube here, although the algorithm really doesn't help because people have to really uh, clickbait. So when uh, my my pet theory about the degradation of our society and the polarization of our politics is because of the bankruptcy of traditional print media. The internet has, in my opinion, and I, I hold strong opinions loosely, right? So someone can convince me otherwise. But I believe that because the internet has happened and democratized information, it has basically destroyed the traditional business model in profitability of print media. So print media had to adjust to an online world, which pays them not on quality, not on uh, readership, but instead it pays them on clicks. Or it's not distribution, it's on clicks. And so if you're paying on clicks, you need to go chase clicks. And how do you chase clicks on the internet with 
internet herd mentality. It's, uh, it's all the headlines you see on YouTube. The economy is going to explode and it's this person's fault. You know, X, Y, Z, you guys know how it is. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a bummer, but you kind of go back to this chart and yeah, algorithms can hurt as much as they can help for sure. And we, we can see, we can see that in our society today. Um, cool. Okay. So let's go to public investing ideas. So Orion engineered carbons, OEC thesis this week on yet another value channel, Andrew Walker welcomed Kyle uh, Mowry and Jake Miller of Covest Select to talk, talk about Orion Engineered Carbons. Uh, OEC is a producer of carbon black operating in two segments, specialty carbon black, 55% of EBITDA, rubber carbon black, 45% of EBITDA. Um, what's the market missing according to them? According to Mowry Miller, uh, the world is looking at the company as a cyclical industrial, but the specialty segment has secular tailwinds even if we enter a global recession. The company just added exited an investing cycle with 300 million of capex going to the us even the rubber carbon black part of the business a more cyclical commodity as a strong supply and demand outlook for the next several years management came out at the at analyst day in june and said they'll earn nearly two-thirds of their market cap over the next three years the company currently trades at five times forward ebitda so it's something that i will uh talk to with our in-house uh, over-decade veteran of the top-tier hedge funds, Kyle Deasy, uh, who you can find, whose research you can find at senseinvest.com if you're a Sense Pro subscriber. Um, bonus points here when looking into Orion is he's covered uh, a lot of cyclicals in the past and a lot of chems in the past. So I will, I will uh, be passing this along to him, and we will be hopefully discussing in the next couple of weeks here for. ROI club members and Sense Pro subscribers. Um, another th cool thing was LinkedIn. Um, Ray Dalio posted a cool, it starts with inflation LinkedIn post this month. And um, the first part of the article breaks down the relationship between inflation, interest rates, and the economy. Uh, and then we get into the interesting stuff. Dalio lays out his view that a rise in interest rates from where they are to about 4.5% will produce a 20% negative impact on equity prices. The markets are discounting inflation over the next 10 years of 2.6% in the US, but Dalio believes it will be closer to 45 to 5% in the long term. So, um, yeah, scary, scary stuff. And I don't know. I'm, I might be calling BS to the to the blindly buying the S&P narrative that I think you see out there and spoon-fed to you. Um, watch the video that I posted. Um, watch the video that I posted uh, at, at my personal vlog channel. I'm sorry I'm not so eloquent today. I'm still sick. COVID is really kicking my ass here. Man. <coughs> yeah all right uh davzy beats saying wait what 20 percent off sign me up uh yeah i mean uh just yeah go go watch the video i did kind of an analysis about potential downside and stuff like that 
Um, all right, let's go to private investing ideas, something that might be a little bit more tangible and fun, which is why I wanted to introduce that to our community of investors. Um, micro acquire your way to a million in ARR. So Andrew Pierno um, says, so this guy right here, Andrew P-I-E-R-N-O on Twitter uh, says that he's acquiring 1 million ARR SaaS portfolio. Um, every month he tracks the portfolio. In his August breakdown, he currently has about 27,000 in MRR. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's like very micro VC, a total MRR. 27,000. They sold sentimentinvestor.com, churn, um, et cetera. So it's it's pretty interesting. It's interesting if you're interested in kind of micro SaaS. Uh, Andrew tweeted about his six micro acquisitions he's done and he sold two. Earlier this month, he shared his advice for those looking to make their first micro acquisition. I've done six micro acquisitions, sold two, and currently operate four. Want to make your first micro acquisition? Here's what I'd tell you if we hopped on a call. Now, this journey above of buying micro SaaS companies begs the question what's the most practical way to make a million dollars? Another Twitter user, Joe Spezer, shared his blueprint. So, this guy, let's see. The most practical way to make $1 million buy a SaaS business and flip it for four times in 12 months. I've done this multiple times. That's what he says. How about you? Um, so he, he was talking about uh, flipping SaaS businesses to make millions and the replies to the thread were kind of mixed. <clears throat> um, and he was saying, how about you just work on a, a like tech company? According to Hired's 2022 status tech salaries report, the average Bay Area tech worker makes 174000 in 2022 up 4% year over year. I don't think like my reaction we are building an app that will be the one-stop shop for a serious investor. Um Spencer expects this to be launched the 1.0 of that will be launched before the end of the year. Obviously for Sense Pro subscribers. Where it'll be a data repository Kind of like a data room for private deals that we bring to you all and then also data room for all the research etc for that the community and we do to hedge fund analysts do for public market research and my experience my limited experience on SaaS is that it's a lot of work and the cost structure generally is tough in the beginning and the failure rate is extremely high. But what I think that they are talking about are these little subscription businesses like a Chrome extension or a little website that gets some traffic and, and, and makes money on just like a, a certain subscription. My, my preference would be owning a portfolio of micro SaaS businesses would be extremely stressful to me because... Um, I generally think that the internet types of businesses like that go away within five to 10 years. So you're not really buying a, per a perpetuity kind of cash flow stream. 
you're really buying the opportunity to grow really fast. So I think in other words, this is a different way to be an entrepreneur where you're really good at taking something and scaling it, maybe selling more of it. So you're a good online marketer. So you're good at SEO or social media, et cetera. But you don't have like the idea to take something from zero to one. So instead you buy this like little website or this little Chrome extension that does something kind of cool. You're like, oh, I can just market that on TikTok. And then you grow revenues really fast and then do that. So I think that's a great strategy if you do that. But for most of us, it's way too involved. If you have a nine to five in a family, I don't know if you can do something like that. What I'm more interested in is probably the first million. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, man, it's harder uh, streaming during COVID. I have to blow my nose here soon. But um, yeah, I, I think like the f best way to make a million, the more, okay, like the, the foolproof way to make a million, in my opinion, is probably maximizing your earnings. I think that's what everybody has to start with because you can't do, and you can't even micro acquire SaaS companies for under a hundred grand, right? Or 50 grand. So you really have to, save up some sort of war chest and it all starts with trying to make as much money as you can so i.e making 174,000 as an average bay area tech worker is really attractive um so i think you got to start with that and once you get a bit of a war chest of 200 grand half a million something like that you know, all you need to do is find 15 to 20% IRRs and you compound that over five years, it doubles and boom, you have your first million. Now that can be a combination of 401k, S&P, I guess, again, right, if you like that. Or it could be and another mix of, you know, buying real estate or buying, um, yeah, or real estate. But again, I think the, 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 the trickiest part of that is really finding your first quarter mil to half a mil. And so if you make 174,000 or let's say you make 200 grand a year um, as an accredited single investor, tax ban takes 45% of that. So <clears throat> just say you're left with 100, let's just say you're left with 110. I mean, and then you spend six grand a month in expenses so that's seventy two thousand, and so so 110 minus 72 right you're you're saving like 40 a year if you can do that maybe you save 50 a year and that that's probably what you have to do is save 50 a year through your late 20s probably by the time you're earning that and then what do you do with a quarter mil to half a million and that's the that's the um that's like why i'm doing this really is is finding the best roi that i can find in any given moment and so how no small reason why it happened to me is i bought real estate now we went to nashville 
like two and a half XR money in four and a half years. That was a great IRR and a great MOM, uh, multiple of money or MOI, multiple on investment or however you cash on or cash multiple. What, there's a lot of different words for that. And so you got to find something like that. Um, you guys know my story. I mean, it's I've done a lot of different things and uh, they've usually worked out pretty well. Um, another another thing is I'm being upfront is I had I had equity options in the uh, company that I I was the CFO of and got a really nice seven figure exit and so that was really nice too um, but any one of those strategies that I implemented would work but it all starts really with saving your first quarter mil and so if you're like under twenty five like trying to be cute about you know trading your way to there i don't think you can be cute about it you gotta you got it takes money to make money so go make some money and then uh once you've made some money then you have these different paths it's like okay real estate okay um maybe it's a little bit more like entrepreneurship you know go the cody sanchez laundromat route or if you're like a fire person um uh you can can i guess invest you can invest in stocks like really great stocks like high quality businesses but just and ignore the kind of shorter term five-year downtrend that you might be bought dcaing into like don't just all like don't don't just yolo your money into the market at any one given time given the macro tempest we're in you can go uh work your way you can use that to take a risk on a startup and get some equity um there's a lot of different things and we'll talk a lot about that here on this podcast Cool. All right. There was a cool debate in the Fat Fire subreddit, which is probably my favorite subreddit that I read on a personal basis. Um, considerations and decision. I'm currently on a short sabbatical and concern, considering my options on Fire versus Fat Fire. So just the difference between financial independence retire early versus like financial independence retire early, uh, living a rich, luxurious life. I guess that's Fat Fire. Um, high level in the tech industry and single. Plan to stay single after some abusive relationships. Fire in the areas I'm planning to live in is probably reachable in two to three years with my investments, real estate, and salary. Fat fire is probably reachable in five to seven years, though I'm second guessing the benefits of it right now. I guess I'm wondering how y'all made the decision to shoot for fat fire. Obviously, more money is more cushion against downturns or medical issues. Uh, I'm in an expensive US city and plan to move abroad for better quality of life and climate upon fire slash fat fire. I'm guessing I'm wondering about the benefits of shooting for 100K a year at the 4% rule. So just do the math, right? Let's do the math. 100 divided by 0.04. So he has two, two, so two, in two and a half years, two to three years, he thinks he can get two and a half million invested and he can draw down 100,000 for the rest of his life. Um, if the, so he's thinking about 100,000 a year, which is kind of just, it's nice fire level but not quite fat fire right um significantly uh lower than this uh so the cost of living of where he plans on retiring would be 30 to 50 grand for upper middle class so i'm probably midwest if i had to guess if he's in the u.s um if anyone has relocated to a cheap cheaper area and still chosen fat fire please advise the benefits of fire versus fat fire um i thought this was kind of a funny one i read this a while like last week um Here's some of the top replies. If you're content with less and tired of working, don't wait. 
assuming you have control i would absolutely do nothing do another few years to go from worrying about money fire to not worrying about it fat fire the level of stress is greatly reduced and there's so much more insurance for what for the what ifs of life i would shoot for fire uh work a few more years and make fire plans then see how you feel and go one more year if it's it's if it's as long as you want so i'm not like a traditional fire guy like i like dreaming about it but i i like working and i like helping people and building product and all this other stuff um and so i never really understood i hate my job so much that i can't work like it's the difference between two and three years or five to seven i think if anybody even if you're 60 years old uh, a lot of 60 year olds that i know like my parents friends from the college i went to they made the decision to extend five to seven years to meaningfully like be middle class to be to live like a pretty nice well-off lifestyle have a, a lake home etc and so i'm kind of like in that latter camp of i like working enough that i would rather um i would rather work a little bit longer so i mean i i'm just i thought this was really interesting and i i would love to hear you guys in the comments if if um if you know of a situation where someone is golden handcuffed to their high paying job but absolutely hate it and can't stand another like just an extra two to three years of it off the top of my head i do think some of the wall street ones are pretty tough um like being an md at an investment bank can be really you know your health is bad etc and maybe another three years is just too much i also do think that um i also do think that time is a underappreciated asset of ours we all have the same amount you have the same as much as jeff bezos and you don't get the time back um but you know it's, it's all it's always a personal decision all right another cool thing that we saw was paul graham's latest essay what i've learned from users um he said uh talks about asking yc applicants to explain what they've learned from users and then he looks inward to find out what yc has learned from its founders and hundreds of years hundreds of startups over the years um so go if you're a startup person go check that out it's in the newsletter um another cool chart is actual working hours and of different income levels uh this graphic uh, uses the latest u.s census data to show the average working hours of americans at different income levels are you surprised people that make more money work harder or work longer hours i guess um they're self-reported and they're all full-time over 35 hours a week so um that would mean they're all so that would mean all 8200 respondents are working at least 35 so just keep that in mind so 35 is right here and so this is the probably the mean of their income percentile um so that would mean like for the top earners the the average is 45 hours a week so you're getting a lot of like 55 60 hours a week kind of workers but yeah i think it's like flatter than i thought it would be um i think the lowest income 
percentile goes up a little bit versus the middle or versus the 10 to 40 percent income percentile so like the zero to 10 and that's really sad because those people are probably pulling double shifts to to make ends meet so yeah i just thought it was an interesting we thought it was an interesting chart here at sense cool so uh we're gonna round this off and i'm not sure how long i've been streaming definitely hit the like button got 69 likes appreciate you all here um things that have come out from sense pro this this week um or last week was the compounder list like we said a list of over 30 vetted consensus companies from our analysts that um that, that are either pure play or more like um asset allocation types of compound stocks um so since pro subscribers can look in that we have some earnings call notes from smith and wesson and bookings holdings and we have some notes from the array short report um i was out because of covid last week and um yeah but i believe i did yeah i did office hours last monday right before i caught covid or i felt the effects of covid and uh we talked about tesla uipath progress software corp lululemon canada goose and uh yeah don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at uh link in the description senseinvest.com tell um if you or your friends are uh, in serious investors who really are interested in private deals definitely click that accredited i want to see high irr deals just collecting the list now we have over we have about 300 accredited investors and it probably takes 50 to pull off a deal so i'm i'm really excited i'm really excited i'm get i'm starting to rev that engine on my side to um to like find deals and source them i mean we have a couple that we're looking at and um but i think like once we get that engine going it'll be it'll be really fun to be on our deal flow deal flow distro and uh just the accredited uh, list as well uh and if you're a sense pro subscriber we're actively working on a new a new um new feature i want to produce weekly comparable spreadsheets for you to download every week so i'm hoping by the end of the week we can launch that and so uh anyway cool all right thanks for joining me uh this will go on to podcasts later. And don't forget the like button if, if you like the video so you can see it again. And uh, have a great investing week. I hope the market is better. And I hope that I re recover fully from this nasty COVID bug. <laughs> Love you all. I'll see you next Monday. Bye.